Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This week, more conversation surrounding the Getty Music Worship Conference Sing 2019. One of the architects, along with wife Kristen of the conference, is hymn writer and musician Keith Getty, who visited with me recently to share about the concept of this significant event drawing thousands to Nashville. Plus, from Sing 2019, Christian author and blogger Tim Challies saying that he's a content creator and curator. He encourages Christians in their spiritual walk with his own material and linking to others. He shared observations about the Sing gathering. Also, from Ronald Blue Trust, Russ Crossan offered a biblical perspective in a recent conversation regarding finances and discussed practical principles for being good stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to his people. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Hope Helmuth has put together a cookbook consisting of recipes from her family, photographs that she has taken, and stories rooted in faith that promote family togetherness. Find out more ahead. Also from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Christian Product Expo International Event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Carlos Evans, in a face-to-face interview, shared about his accident while serving with the Marine Corps and how God showed his faithfulness to him and his wife and through his wife as they learned to stand firm in Christ. Finally, the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association Conference started several days before CPE and concluded on the first day of the Christian Product Expo. Also, head Linda Evans Shepherd stopped by and shared about the importance of continuing to trust God through difficult circumstances. This is the intersection of production of the Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. The Getty Music Worship Conference, presented by Keith and Kristen Getty, called Sing, took place recently in Nashville, and registration for next year's conference is well underway. There have even been some speakers announced. Keith Getty spoke with me recently to share observations about this year's conference. He also provided some insight in our conversation about the overall concept of the event. Here now is Keith Getty. The three days of the conference, Monday was all about incarnation. Tuesday was all about Easter and Wednesday was all about the Great Commission. And really, part of that, because because it's three important ways to express the gospel, part of it, it is, is it is it is it's an important part still in our culture. What we're, what we're hearing from church musicians is that two-thirds of their year is spent working on Christmas and Advent, working on Lent and Easter, or things around that, such as communion, or working on either evangelism and mission, whether it's evangelistic services or missional events or commissioning services um, or outreach. So we thought, let's take those three subjects and let's really just equip people with bags of resources and inspiration and teaching and songs and celebration that hopefully will they'll leave this year really just fired up to go on. Well, and as I mentioned to you, you had asked me uh, about some of my observations on the conference, and I talked about the the combination of theology and worship together. And you mentioned the life of Christ and those three components. And I wanted you to share about how it is that the the worship or the music elements really integrate with the the theological elements, how you see that they they work together during the course of the conference. Well, see, I, I think they all do. I mean, when you go back to Luther, I, I think one of the things that people misunderstand is Luther studied the Old Testament and the New Testament and said, it seems to me that Reformation happens through the preaching and the singing of the Word. You know, 
Jonathan Edwards, your own Puritan here in America, said singing completes the joy. So you, 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 you study it, you learn about it from the scriptures, and you complete the joy by singing it. You know, you know the, 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 early, the, the early reformers used to talk about, about how the Bible is opened by the preaching of the word, and it is carried out of church by the singing of the word. And if you look at how, how, how deep the Psalms are and the songs of Scripture, and you look at how important singing is for crystallizing how we understand God, um, and indeed most of the church fathers, from St. Patrick to St. Augustine to St. Francis of Assisi to St. Columba, they're all best known today for the hymns they wrote, not for the sermons they preached. And so we, what we learn in all this process is that what we sing is so extremely important. And I look at my generation, and I am terrified because even the churches that are preaching the Bible well are often singing songs that are shallow, singing songs that they won't sing in three years' time, singing songs that, that, that don't give a broad, a deep um, picture of Jesus and this beautiful gospel good news that we have to share with everybody. Share what you see as the importance of God's people really being not only exposed to, but also incorporating some of these artistic elements in bringing praise to God. First of all, one of the one of the wonderful things is artistry. God, the Lord, the Lord, is, the Lord is an artistic. He's a creative God. He He created the world. He said that it was good. You know, when I take my wife for our anniversary, I don't find a restaurant that has food that has enough protein that the roof keeps the rain out. No, I find somewhere where the food is beautiful, that it is presented beautifully in an ambiance that allows us to have an evening away from our four crazy daughters, just to enjoy each other, to be thankful to the Lord and to laugh and have fun. And so so we're made that way to love beauty. And it's so important at every level. I, actually, I would say at the foremost level, that's why we need to have a catalog of songs in our churches that are extraordinarily beautiful and poetic and that we can sing throughout our lives. I'm... I'm a big believer in local musicians writing songs. I'm a big believer in modern worship songs. But I feel whatever your basis is, you need to have 50 to 100 songs in the church's canon that you sing every year, that you will sing every year for the rest of your life, because that helps form the basic theology of your people. And if you're a pastor or you're a parent out there or a worship leader, love your congregation enough to do that. Um, so artistry begins with the quality of the songs themselves. Then after that, at the same conference, we try to illustrate it in lots of different ways. So, for example, we do a lot of a cappella singing, uh, mostly in mm. harmony. We also have, we also have uh, you know, Mark Dever, who spoke and illustrated it by just having piano, just to show how simple playing works, was, which was a wonderful contrast then to what came next, which was, which was a choir of 500 and a phenomenal orchestra. Uh, and then, of course, as you said, we had worship bands. We had worship bands that also had Celtic musicians. Uh, we had jazz musicians. Uh, so, so you had these all these one, and then a number of global musicians. We had musicians from Venezuela. We had a musician from from uh, Romania. We had a musician from Korea, and a musician from China. All players. So we brought in uh, very much a global sense to the whole thing as well. Keith Getty here on The Intersection. The Getty's website is Getty, G-E-T-T-Y, music.com. To learn more about the Sing Conference 2020 in Nashville, go to gettymusicworshipconference.com. Well, at this year's Sing Conference, I talked with Christian author and blogger Tim Challies. In our conversation, he shared observations about the gathering and underscored the importance of worship 
Here now is Tim Challies. Your task as a worship leader is to facilitate the worship. It's not to do the worship, though you will be worshiping. It's not to do the worship on behalf of the congregation. It's not the same thing as preaching where you're just communicating something to the church. You're there to facilitate what the church is doing. And so your task, hopefully, then is to disappear. If nobody remembers you, all the better. What should be remembered, what should stand out, is the church was singing together corporately as one body joined together in Christ, now singing to the Lord and ministering to one another. There's there's a sense in which when we stand to sing, we all become ministers. We get to minister truth to one another. Well, you can go to a concert and you can sing. You can go to a, a pop concert or, or, or whatever, rock concert, and you can sing along and you can participate and you can really get involved in the music. You can go to a sporting event and do the same thing. But there's, so we're not talking about participation in the sense that you're just trying to, you know, just be involved in, in singing. There's something spiritual about that moment. The Bible says, again, back to Colossians 3.16, that we're talking about spiritual songs. So what makes this whole experience spiritual? Well, first, I would agree that you can go to concerts and all that and sing along. And sadly, many churches, that's essentially what you're doing is you're singing along. And so a lot of the music that is sung in those churches is not really congregational music. It's performance music that people are trying to sing along with. So it is analogous to, to going to a concert. U2 doesn't write music for the crowd to sing. They write music for you to sing. You can sing along if you want, but that's not the purpose of it. What I love about what the Gettys are doing, what others are doing today is they're trying to recapture music that was made primarily to sing, to be sung corporately uh, as a body of untrained, just normal people who can sing that together. What makes the music spiritual, to get back to your question, is that it's music that's based on this great spiritual truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are singing from the joy of what's happened to us, and we're singing out of the knowledge of what God has done for us through Christ. And so that gives us our song, that gives us the heart, that gives us uh, what we need then to sing in this particularly Christian way. Tim Challies is joining us today. We are at the Getty Music Worship Conference, Sing 2019 in Nashville. You serve as an elder in the local church. So let's talk just a bit about the connection between spiritual singing as, again, Colossians 3, our theme scripture for our conversation today, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What do you see as the role of the singing connected with the preaching? What's the, what's the connection there? Well, certainly in our church, we like to have a theme for the service, something that holds the parts together. And so we want the the service to feel like one unit, even as it's made up of different parts. And usually the theme will come from the preaching. And so if the topic of that sermon is suffering, then we want the rest of the service to feed towards that, to be from the beginning pointing toward that theme. And then as we go to the end and we start calling people, here's how to live out these truths in the world this week, we want that to flow out of that, that text, that key text that is forming the sermon. And then we build the songs around that. So it's unlikely that on a, if the theme of the, the scripture passage is suffering, probably the songs will, will mark that. It's unlikely you'll have really upbeat, happy songs. And you may, because of course there is happiness, there is joy that comes through suffering when we're in Christ. But um, hopefully those things come together and people are having a unified, cohesive 
uh, experience of worship for that hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday morning. Tim Challies here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, challies.com. The Intersection continues now with Russ Crossan. He is the Executive Vice President and Chief Mission Officer of Ronald Blue Trust. He also serves as Executive Vice Chairman of the Board of Directors for Thrivent Trust Company. In our recent conversation, he discussed principles of biblical financial stewardship, which he addresses in the book, Your Money Made Simple, The Key to Financial Freedom. Here now is Russ Crossan. The other books we've written are all why-to books, how to think uh, about your money, and the publishers kept saying, why don't you write a how-to book? And so I kept kind of resisting that, but then about a year and a half, two years ago, we were sitting with them, and we thought, you know, let's just write what we've done to help couples over the last 40 years if they come to our house, uh, my wife and I, and so we, that's what we did. We wrote a how-to book uh, that was done in a very simple format, as if you're sitting in our living room and we're just um, helping you with your finances. Well, let's talk about the biblical approach to financial stewardship as we kind of lay the foundation here for our conversation today. The Bible is full of references to money and finances and how to handle our money. What are some of the, as we might say, some of the foundational principles that the Bible offers with respect to finances? Well, I think the the fundamental principle is that God is the owner and we're stewards. And so once you understand that, that it's not ours, it's all his, then stewardship requires that I understand, you know, what I've got and where it's going. And that's really what we talk about in this new book, uh, Bob. A lot of people don't know where their money's going, and we need to help people understand there's only five things they can do with money, and so they can give it, they can pay off debt, and we know the Bible has a lot to say about those two categories. It has a lot to say about every category. Uh, render under Caesar, what is Caesar's? Pay your taxes. That's a third use of money. So, And then, of course, we need to provide for our families. That's living expenses, and then uh, store up, um, as the ants uh, talks about in Proverbs, so investments. So those are the five uses of money. Bible talks about all of them. What I've experienced is most people don't know uh, what they have in each of those categories. And I know in in dealing with financial experts from a biblical standpoint, obviously, and I know this is really the aim of your organization, you want to have Christians manage their finances well to be good stewards of the financial the financial resources God has given to them so that they will be in good financial shape and be able to give. And let's let's talk about that that whole progression. For instance, when you have couples that come to you, you say you and your wife have been counseling couples for some 40 years or so, what have you found to be the the initial issues that couples or even individuals are facing with respect to their finances? Well, I think, as I alluded to, that most people don't really have a good grasp of their finances, you know, and so when I ask them, you know, how much are they saving, they really don't know. How much are they giving, they really don't know. And so I think that it starts with just getting a good you know, it says in Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. So I think the first thing is getting a realistic look at exactly where you are. And when you do that, it helps you uh, increase your generosity, um, be on the same page as husband and wife about how you're how you're using your money. And I think at the end of the day, Bob, that's that's the key thing that we're about as a company. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19 is our firm verse. It says, instruct those who are rich not to be conceited, they're the hope and the uncertainty of riches, and it goes on to talk about being generous. And so we want to help people uh, be wise with their money and 
not be like the farmer over in Luke 12 who was not rich towards God and was called a fool. So we we encourage people to to know where their money's going and be generous and and be wise versus being foolish. Russ Crossan here on the intersection. You can learn more by going to the Ronald Blue Trust website at ronblue.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Plus, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content from the Sing Conference in Nashville, as well as the Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a number of other platforms. Find out more by visiting the Faith Radio website or the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now with content from the Meeting House program featured here on the Intersection podcast, Hope Helmuth talked with me recently. She's author of a book, Hope's Table, Everyday Recipes from a Mennonite Kitchen. In our conversation, she described the book, which includes recipes, photographs, and stories that reinforce notions of faith, food, and family. Here now is Hope Helmuth. When we first got married, I enjoyed cooking, and I decided decided to start a blog um, to share my love for cooking with others. And through that, I gained a following, and then from my blog is how the publisher found me and reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in writing a book for them. And so from there, we started a two-year process of gathering all of my blog recipes, um, some family favorites that my mom has used for years from her family, and then some new ones I had developed and created a new twist on the Mennonite classic recipes. If someone were to go into your garden, I know you, before this conversation, if you were telling me that you had been uh, picking some lima beans, so obviously that's a component. What what else would someone find in the Helmuth Garden? Um, I mean, in the spring, it, it's, of course, going to be different things, but it's usually onions, peppers, tomatoes, lima beans, green beans, cucumbers, potatoes, um, Yes, pretty much all of those things. And then we have kind of, I mean, it's not like it all comes in at once. So you start with um, the one of the earlier things is peas, and then it goes into green beans. And then it just like finishing up fall here, we're ending up with llamas and the last of canning tomatoes. So it's kind of a process you get used to and just know how your summer is going to go and what, what you're going to can that month. So tell me about the faith element of this particular book and how it's injected into Hope's Table. Well, I think a Christian family is one of the biggest ways that you can um, reach out to those around you. Just the, And we promote more of the simple life, working together, eating together, having time to sit down around the table and enjoying a meal, talking about your day, sharing in joys and sorrows. 
through the preserving. Um, I mean, you're there with your mom, your grandma, you're, you're just living with each other and in community. And I think that's so important for the health and the, and, and our faith. Um, it's such an port, important part of it. Sure. And I wanted to ask you to comment or describe for us the, the family structure as you talk about various members of the family spanning a number of generations being there together. Comment on the the way that that is uh, about how that occurs in the Mennonite community and how really that that can be helpful to try to preserve just for for people of a variety of different Christian backgrounds. Well, um, I mean, my grandma left such a legacy of gardening, and so she's passed that down to my mom. And all through our growing up years, she would come and she would help. And so we learned so much from grandma just being with grandma and interacting and learning about her her life and her story. And so now for my children, we're doing the same thing. We're coming to grandmothers. We're picking llamas. We're sitting on the front porch and just in conversation and, and sharing life together. Um, and I just think that's it's such an important thing, and I think it's something that's being lost. Hope Helmuth here on The Intersection. Her website address is hopeful-things.com. Now back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the recent Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I sat down with Sergeant Retired Carlos Evans of the U.S. Marine Corps, who lost both legs and his left hand after encountering an IED in Afghanistan. He shared about how God's faithfulness, as well as the faithfulness of his wife, Rosemary, were instrumental in his life. He and Rosemary have co-written a book called Standing Together, the Inspirational Story of a Wounded Warrior and Enduring Love. From CPE International, this is Carlos Evans now. My wife, Rosemary, uh, she, she's a nurse as well. So my wife, when, when she saw me in the hospital bed, uh, she was the first one to notify me what happened because I didn't know what happened. She told me I was missing my legs and, and my left hand. And uh, a breaking point in my life uh, was uh, one day I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to give up. You know, Why don't you continue with your life and I'll continue with mine? And Rosemary looks at me and says, you know, I'm, I'm not a widow. Uh, and your daughters are not orphans. Uh, I love you for the man you are today and for the man you're going to be tomorrow. And I looked at her and I said, you know, the only reason you're saying that is because, you know, you, you have pity on me. And she's like, no, I love you. Uh, and, I, and I kept repeating to her, but look at all my wounds. And she said, that's the difference between you and me. Uh, I don't see your wounds. I only see your scars. Mm. Wow. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And this is the way she explained it to me. She said... Well, when a patient goes to a hospital room with an open wound, he sees a doctor. The doctor sees him. He cleans the wound. And as time goes by, it becomes a scar. So when I see you, I only see your scars because I know who's your healer. I know who healed your wounds. And I know that you are alive. You're in front of me for a purpose. And she embraced my wounds right there. And while she was looking at me, I, I, I was reminded that this is the way God looks at me, unconditional love. And from that day, I started seeing myself through the mirror of my healer. That's oh, Jesus Christ. Wow, that is awesome. 
How did Rosemary minister to you, not only through your time of physical rehabilitation, but your spiritual rehab as well? <laughs> oh. Rosemary was always present. She showed me love when I didn't show her love. She showed me uh, patience when I was very impatient. So seeing those actions, you know, through her, it, I saw an example of how God loved me. So that that ministered to my life greatly. She always uh, talked about me highly. This is my husband. You are the father of my children. You're my husband. I love you for, for who you are and, and for who you're going to be. So that ministered to my heart deeply. I mean, I remember that day uh, when she told me that I don't see your wounds, I see your scar. Mm, After wow. that conversation, yeah, she's like, yeah, and we're going to go to church next week. <laughs> so she, uh, we lived in Washington, D.C., and we drove to North Carolina seven hours. Uh, I was afraid of, of taking that drive because after what happened to me. And she's like, we're going to do it. She put the wheelchair in the car, and we drove down there. And it was, it was a breakthrough as well. So I see, I see God in my wife's actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the book, to what degree does she relate? Because you wrote the book together, Standing Together. Does she, what degree does she relate what God did in her heart, not only to prepare her to minister and to affirm you and to build you up, but also to, to be able to adjust to this new, what became the new normal for her as well? My wife, I mean, I know my wife since I'm like seven years old. She grew up in church and her, her parents, uh, you know, are great people. She shares with me that when when the chaplain came by to notify her in the Marine Corps, the Marines came by the, high, the house to notify her about what happened to me. Uh, as time went by, everything that she learned in, in Bible school and everything that she learned when she was growing up, it came to life. So, you know, the verses, uh, the songs, uh, her faith grew in the middle of this experience because I think that is it in your weakness, you know, in your weakest moment in life, when you surrender your weakness to the Lord, you are stronger. So in, in, in her experience, uh, she shares with me that it was in this experience in her life that she said, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I have to rely on the Lord. And her faith grew and God was taking care of her so she could take care of me. No. Carlos Evans here on The Intersection. You can learn more about them and the organization Touching Lives, Leaving Footprints through the website crevans.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Linda Evans Shepard, founder and CEO of the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, or AWSA. The annual AWSA conference overlap with the Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. In our conversation, she talked about her book, When You Need to Move a Mountain, Keys to Praying with Power. This is Linda Evans Shepherd now. It's a real privilege to pray. And one of the things that we talk about in the book is we talk about how I believe that we each have prayer callings, prayer giftings. For example, you might be, and here's one of the categories, a praying friend. And so, like, perhaps God puts someone on your heart, and 
instead of just going, oh, I'm just suddenly thinking about my daughter right now or my son or my, my neighbor. Say a little prayer for them. Lord, I don't know what's going on with my neighbor, but would you help them right now? And then later you find out that at that very moment, she was in crises. Mm. And that's when the peace of God fell. That's when the answer of God came for that point of crises. And so that praying friend gifting came through. So don't be afraid. You don't always have to walk around on your knees every day you can walk through your life knowing that you are in the presence of God at all times and of course you have those times where you hide in your prayer closet and pray but just make your life an open prayer and pray Mm. as God leads you to Linda Evan Shepherd joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio from CPE International, as well as the Advanced Writers and Speakers Conference, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the center of the publishing universe this week. Mm-hmm. Well, Linda, as you've read this book, When You Need to Move a Mountain, Keys to Praying with Prayer, you are with power, rather. Mm-hmm. Keys to praying with prayer. Now that makes that <laughs> makes, makes sense. Oh, <laughs> okay. Praying, with, yeah. <laughs> you should pray actually yes. pray with prayer, but it's actually keys to praying with power. So as you've as you've gone through the, the challenges of your life, you mentioned the situation involving your daughter mm-hmm. when she was very young, mm-hmm. being in a coma, and and actually going home to be with the Lord while she was in. If I'm I'm doing the right math, or what? Uh, she was thir- She was thirty. Okay, so. She was, she had reached 30 years yes, of age. she did, the day talk, after her 30th birthday. Mm, talk about what you learned as far as praying and, and dependence on God in that situation. Well, you know, everyone dies. Correct. <laughs> Eventually. Lazarus, for example, was raised from the dead by Jesus, but he died again. He's still not here. I mean, today he's in heaven no. with the Lord. And sometimes people get so upset when they pray for a loved one and God doesn't answer their prayer with life on this earth. Mm -hmm. But as in my daughter's case, we did pray that she would be healed on earth, but the Lord chose to heal her in heaven. My daughter is no longer in a wheelchair. She's no longer blind. And she she can do things she could never do here on earth. And I would never call her back. But I do miss her terribly. But sometimes we get the idea that we are God's boss. And that we and God has to do what we say if we muster up enough faith. If we muster up that muster see faith, he has to obey us. And we forget that he is our boss. He is the creator. And sometimes we fail to see the miracle. So the miracle in my daughter's death is that she is not gone and she is beautifully healed and in the presence of the Lord. Well, there is the biblical reference to moving a mountain. And in correlation with that, you have Jesus teaching that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say this mount to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. So when you talk about that faith, the size of a mustard seed, what does that mean to you? You know what? It's truly about trusting God because that is truly what faith is. It's more than just saying God will do what I say when I tell him. It's more (laughs) about God will answer my prayer as I trust him. may not look exactly what you want, but that mountain is going to move. 
and it, there is going to be a miracle. And sometimes we are blind to the miracle because it's not the, it doesn't come the way we expect. And so we have to be open and allow God to be God. And we have to know that he loves us, he hears us, and we really can trust him. Linda Evans Shepherd here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website gottopray.com. You can learn more about OSSEP, the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, by going to awsa.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the podcast. And The Intersection can be found in the Media Center or you can subscribe to it via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including quite a bit of recently added content from CPE International, as well as the Getty Music Scene Conference. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.